0: Tech Talk talk. with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk.
1: Welcome along to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk coming up over the next hour. We'll lift the lid on the latest gadgets from Google and look ahead to next week's Meta Connect. Plus, I'll step inside the world of Ireland's cybersecurity defense to hear what goes on on a day-to-day basis. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. But first, let's take a look at some of the biggest stories from the world of tech this week.
2: I worked for Twitter where I started to learn a lot more about the problems that social media was bringing down the pipe in terms of disinformation and uh, what has become now known as the infodemic. So essentially the viral spread of lies and conspiracy theories that have damaging real world Impact on things like, for example, reducing the uptake on vaccination programs or inciting violence, like we saw Capitol Hill on January 6th. And so, what Kinsen essentially was set up to do was give people confidence in what they see in their news feeds quality journalism, quality news information.
1: Yeah, that was Mark Little, the co founder of Kinsen, which was acquired this week by Spotify. Uh, Emmett Ryan of the Business Post is with me now to talk about this and a few other stories that caught our eye. Uh, Emmett, this is a Big deal in more ways than one.
2: Uh, It is, yeah. Like, obviously, we don't know the value of it, but uh, Anya was in my master's class way back in the day and is the reason I got a first in one of my subjects there. So, I am delighted for them as a result of that. Uh, You know, glad to see good people doing well. Obviously, you know, I hope they got paid uh, to use the way I say it. it, But, like, you know, listen, I'm sure they aren't exactly going to be, like, shortchanged by Spotify, put it that way.
1: Yeah, it's a great uh, thing to see a company, an Irish company based here in Ireland... Only around a few years, getting the attention, and then getting acquired by a big corporation like like Spotify. Not the first
2: though. Remember Soundwave? No. Exactly. Uh, they were worth <laughs> minds based, so you know, proud of my D six people. Uh, they got acquired there a few years back, like you know. So yeah. Uh, so they were a Irish startup uh, back in our younger days, and uh, they got acquired by a startup. Ooh, you- it, was, it must be seven years ago, I'd say now.
1: Right, okay. Yeah,
2: way back. That shows. See, that's that's you know the the, the cells they're degrading just, but not too much, thankfully. Yeah. Mm.
1: Um, in terms of Kinsen and Spotify, um, the the statement that came out from Spotify about this, you know, the, the language it was all so optimistic, which is fantastic. They were saying that they've worked alongside Kinsen for quite a while. But we all know that this is against the backdrop of the Joe Rogan thing, right?
2: Oh, completely. Yeah, like because what and do is everything that Spotify needs to you know bring in and have dealt with, so that you know they can look better. Basically,
1: do you think that's all it is, or do you think it's it's a serious move to try and cut down on some of the myths and disinformation that's out there?
2: Uh, I hope it is a serious move. Like with Kinzen, I'd like you know knowing on reasonably well and knowing Mark fairly well, not fairly well, but like a little less well. Like they seem like people who would not sell unless there was a plan to actually use the business. Mm. So I think that's a positive sign.
1: Yeah. Well, look, it is a fantastic uh, news story for Ireland. A huge congratulations to the entire team. Uh, to Mark Little. And your Care, the co-founders, uh, we will keep an eye on what happens in terms of the integration into Spotify um, and what, if any, impact it'll have on the output uh, from a content point of view, but also content creator point of Absolutely. view. Absolutely.
2: And I'm just stunned that we were talking about so much today, but I went to see Blackbird do the night in the cinema finally. Like, you know, so it's as bad as you think, arguably worse. OK. Yeah.
1: Do, elaborate.
2: Well, let's just say that. Tell people
1: about it for those who don't it's know. It's
2: Michael Flatley's attempt at being sort of Bond meets Casablanca, is the best way to describe it. Oof. And yeah, no, it's it's terrible, but he claims it's not a vanity project, but like one of the first lines in it is Patrick Bergen saying no one can do what he does. So, you know. <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, it's, it's crazy bad, but the crazy part is because, like, if you look up the trailer, you'll think this is going to be terrible. The trailer doesn't prepare you for just how bad it is. And that's the extraordinary thing. Like, Eric Roberts is chewing scenery. The. Attempts at action scenes, it's more how they clearly are trying to avoid having to do real action scenes with it. It's its gloriously bad. Like, there's a couple of bits where, you know, if I say them, it'll spoil them because yeah. uh, of how bad they are. But definitely, when it's because I think it's probably gone from the cinemas by the time this is going out. But as soon as I hit streaming service, like, get that, get a big, big, big bag of popcorn and just do that as a late evening treat for yourself.
1: If you have seen it, uh, let me know what you think. Do you agree with Emmett Ryan? Uh, email me techtalk at newstalk.com or defend the nature of this uh, of this film do get in touch and let me know uh, talking of things that are slightly bonkers uh, Elon Musk
2: yeah yeah so he's back buying Twitter again he claims back with his uh, cannabis reference uh, bidding price of 54.20 uh, so the rationale is possibly like Elon Musk likes attention which I honestly I think is the real rationale I'm not even joking
1: but is it not because it was going to court and he didn't have a leg to stand on
2: I was going to get to that like I think there is definitely that but at this stage, like, like I said this before, like the last time we talked about this was a couple of months ago. Now, if you're Twitter, do you really want Elon Musk buying you right now? But like well, this if you're is a what I wonder,
1: though, what, like, why are they pushing it so much? Is it because we, we've seen that the price go up um, as a result of this potentially being on again? And um, so the share price went up. I think it was like fifty two dollars last on Wednesday of this week. Yeah. Um. so why are Twitter pushing this so much?
2: Honestly, at this point, I just think it's, you know, the emotion one gets into when caught in a fight, that rationality departs us. That's all I can really think of is why they're pushing it so hard. Because, you know, I've said it before and I've said it again, if you've got an opportunity to get Elon Musk out of your life, take it.
1: Mm. I'm intrigued to see what happens though, because although nothing is going to happen overnight, um, this does have to come to an end. And it'll be interesting to see who comes out victorious. And, you know, there's nothing to stop Elon Musk buying it and scrapping everything that we know about it to date. Like, will there be protections put in place to prevent him from doing that, I suppose?
2: I find that very hard to believe, to be honest, given it's his favourite toy
1: mm. right now.
2: What we need to do is find something shiny to distract him with. Like, you know, like, like we do with a puppy or a boss. Uh, you know, uh, find something shiny and uh, put it in their direction and hopefully that'll keep him away and let people get on with the work.
1: Well, talking of shiny things, he unveiled uh, the vision for the Tesla bots. we got another... We didn't really get much more than we had the first time you mentioned it, but the Optimus Tesla bots uh, were unveiled last Friday. Uh, I think one came out, attempted a wave, and had less charisma than a teaspoon.
2: I know, but it is designed in Elon Musk's image, so that would make some sense. Uh, but You don't
1: like Elon Musk, do you, Emmett? I
2: find him dull. Do uh, you? He desperately tries to be cool, and, you know that's my issue to be honest like he's obsessed with being cool and it's like the only way to really be cool is to not be obsessed with being cool and i find him very dull and i just want him to be a more less seen billionaire like zuckerberg frankly who no one's ever going to accuse of having a personality at least isn't on my screen too often Mm. uh musk is unfortunately inescapable
1: you know the way, and I know she's um, sort of out of the picture now, but Cheryl Sandberg was a good deputy, I think, for um, Zuckerberg. Like they kind of made a good number one, number two, right?
2: Yeah, her job was to take the beating, basically, yeah.
1: But but she did it in a very elegant way, I think. And she I, was I, I'd, agree I'd agree there. very sophisticated. I'd agree there. Is there another, like, am I being thick right now, but is there another, is there a number two for Musk that we know about that gets involved?
2: Not obviously, and he seems to feel that he doesn't need one is the problem.
1: So is this just rich boy arrogance?
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. But like, you know, it's like he's convinced he's a genius, which, you know, maybe he is. Like there's reasonable arguments in terms of scientific knowledge that he actually is. The problem is that he is just obsessed really, not just with being rich and being right, but with the world lauding him for that.
1: Mm.
2: And that's the problem.
1: Yeah, I think if you follow him on Twitter, uh, which I don't know that I'd recommend, but if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see some of the stuff that he posts. And, you know, there's been a lot of controversy this week, as there always is when he posts about things. But um, I I just, I don't know what to make of him. And I don't know how somebody who's that rich and who's so influential, because there's no denying, you can dislike him all you like. He's influential in the world and of course the world of tech, but how are there no people around him that just give him a dummy Twitter account that tweets to nobody or put restrictions on his account so that nobody else can see it?
2: Unfortunately, he's a reasonably smart guy and we'll probably see through that on four is the starting point. But uh like I you know, people say youth is wasted on the young. I'm very confident that wealth is wasted wasted on the rich because like, you know, I think of you know me as my uh, obviously overpaid journalist wage that I have. If I big, were Big Big dollars. Big big dollars. But like if you know I had Musk's money, I'm not gonna lie, you'd never hear from me. Mm. Because why would I want all the hassle that comes with fame when I can have all the fun I could ever have For many, many lifetimes. Why on earth would I want to be so out there in the public eye so often? Like, you know, I'd hate it because, like, everybody's trying to take me down if I go out there anyway. Like, hello, I've been pretty harsh on him here and I don't know the guy from Adam. I just Mm. know his personality. And it's like, nah, like, you know, y'all give me Elon Musk's money. I'll show you how to be a rich person because you'll never see me again.
1: But that's why I think it comes down to rich boy arrogance because yeah. he he can't help himself. And you oh, know, completely when he's talking when he was talking last week, uh, or unveiled the the Optimus Tesla bot thing. You know, the vision for this isn't just to be useful; it's to transform the world, and it's going to get rid of poverty, and everything's going to be okay because Elon has made a robot.
2: Yeah, robots no nothing in humans uh, society's history when it comes to like you know fiction and all that would make us think that we should fear robots at all absolutely nothing yeah.
1: i watched uh was it with ted uh, there was an interview with elon musk a while ago and we played a snippet of it here on the show um and he came across normal enough on the interview to the point where i was like Jesus, have I been a bit like harsh on him in the past? Because it's not often that you get to see longer form pieces with him aside from the Joe Rogan podcast, which we won't talk about. But, you know, I do think he's got a great brain. I just. Oh, no
2: question. No question. And that's kind of the problem almost. Yeah. He's not happy with just having a great brain. Like, if he almost. But you
1: also can't just dismiss him as being an absolute lunatic because he's clearly highly intelligent.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like, like, where I feel Musk doesn't read the room is that. If he settled for being who he is rather than who he wants to be yep. uh, as a person, m- way more people would actually listen to him. Like, mm-hmm. as in, especially way more people he wants to listen to him. Like, he wouldn't just have the, you know, the army of bros. Uh, like, you know, people like me would want to listen to him more if he was just, frankly, more comfortable being him rather than needing this adulation. i yeah, would be cooler by not trying to be cool.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I don't know if that's possible though for people, like you could kind of say the same about Jeff Bezos as well.
2: Yeah, although uh, uh, Bezos, it's like, oh God, it's so tragic. Uh, like, you know, I because I, like that photo of him, like, you know, trying to look all ripped and cool, like, you know, mm. with, with the other half, it's like. Don't do it, hon. Don't do it, hon. Don't do it, hon. Like, you know, no. it's like, you know, like, I've got a much better-looking other half. I just accept that when I'm in photos with her.
1: Just accept it and move on with your yeah. life. Um, we need to talk about Elizabeth Holmes. You've kind of been... The only person that I know who's as into this story as I am, but for those who don't know, Elizabeth Holmes uh, was the founder of a company called Theranos. Uh, there's a book that I always talk about called Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. It's one of the best books I've ever read. The audiobook is also great,
2: and the podcast based of it is also great.
1: So just go and find that. Um, but basically, she the, com- the technology didn't work. There was this device that they said could diagnose multiple... Or you could run diagnostics basically on a single drop of blood and tell you what you need to know about your health. So anything from a basic blood test right up to diagnosing serious health conditions. And the upshot is the tech didn't work. She got found out, there was a long trial, uh, and she was found guilty of some charges and not guilty of other charges... We were waiting for her to be sentenced. Then her former business partner and real-life partner, Sonny Balwani, uh, former bi- uh, real-life partner Sonny Balwani, had his trial. He was found guilty of certain bits. Um, And now there's talk that there may be a retrial, so the sentencing of Elizabeth Holmes has been delayed.
2: It has. And I think of people who you know are happy about this situation. There's the two of us because we get to talk about
1: Love it. Love this story.
2: Exactly. There's obviously Elizabeth Holmes because she seems to have a hope of doing something again. And the two others are Amanda Seyfried and the people behind that Netflix show because they're about to get paid because they have got a season two maybe maybe, because essentially former lab head in Terranos, Holmes is claiming, came to her house and apologized and said he hadn't said everything he should say and that this is crucial evidence which could lead to all of her charges being overturned. And that's pretty much all we know about the case she's bringing to try and force a new trial. It won't be until a couple of days, I think possibly even weeks from now, that we actually get the hearing. Mm. But it adds a bit of drama. But like, you know, you immediately think somebody comes to her house. Like, that's the opening shot of season two.
1: It does feel like, because I, I was re-listening to Bad Blood by John Kerry Roo again. downloaded. It. It's great. Um, and... Every element of this, from her saying when she was like nine years old that she wants to be a billionaire and all this kind of stuff, like her life story, it's almost like she's acting out uh, a a play rather than being a human being. Oh yeah. Like everything has been exaggerated. The voice thing, the dressing like Steve Jobs thing, the hiring people who worked for Apple because they worked for Apple and not necessarily because they were the right people for that right gig. Every element of it, is bananas.
2: Oh, completely. Although, for those of you who really into the show, I saw one of the things push notified to me the other day of potential Halloween costumes. Yes, indeed. Your Elizabeth Holmes Halloween costume is out there. How to, how to do up your rig out to look like Elizabeth I'm Holmes. I'm totally going to do that. You know, so <laughs> uh, I, I don't have the link to hand, unfortunately, but I'm sure Jess will have no problem finding it online. Like you know,
1: Go and follow me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. I'm going to tweet it out uh, right now. Uh, Emmett Ryan of The Business Post, thanks as always for your time.
2: Thank you very much, Jess.
1: Now, later in the show, we're going to have the full rundown on the new products from Google and a bit of a chat about the iPhone 14. Is it worth the money? Kira O'Brien will join us in a little bit. But when we come back here on News Talk, I'll meet the team tackling cyber threats here in Ireland on a daily basis. Tech
2: Talk with Jess Kelly.
1: Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk.
2: Good morning. The HSE has shut down its entire IT system after a major cyber attack. The vaccine program isn't affected, but the Rotunda hospital
1: That was how the country found out that the HSE had been targeted by a ransomware attack on May 14th, 2021. This attack caused severe disruption to the running of Ireland's health service. It took months for services to return to normal, And the cost of this attack currently stands at 100 million euro. That figure could run as high as 670 million. While that was the biggest attack of its nature in this country to date, there are attacks of varying severity happening every single day. As October is Cybersecurity Month, I went out to meet with the teams dealing with this very much on the digital front lines.
3: Uh, Richard Brown, Director, National Cybersecurity Center. We have three roles, basically. We uh, detect, identify and stop cyber attacks in the state. We manage national incident response processes. The second one is we share information on threats, risks, hazards and, and issues arising in the cyber domain. Uh, and the last one is we work with entities across the state to build resilience through a, a range of different measures, including compliance measures, information, support, guidance, handholding.
1: So you mentioned there about the threats. Who or what is targeting Ireland and why?
3: So basically, we, we generally describe there as being kind of three levels of threat. The first, is, first one is usually lower level criminal, uh, script kiddie, act, uh, hacktivist type groups. These tend to be amateurish cr- uh, criminals who are engaged in relatively low level acts to try and extort money, to try and cause damage, to try and you know, get across a political position. The second level r- is largely large scale cyber criminals. These are well organized to a varying degree, well-funded criminal actors who are engaged in a variety of different extortion and other types of activity to simply make money. Mm -hmm. And the last one is, is, and the most troubling of all, in some ways, are the state actors, um, or those associated closely with states, nexus actors in different language. And those are generally involved in espionage and other types of activity.
1: I want to start with some of the low-level activity. So, you know, recently on News Talk Breakfast, we did a warning about phishing attempts because they're getting smarter, they're getting more frequent. Is that something that crosses your desk and are there trends and other spikes in terms of the calendar year where you know that these are going to be rife and does it cause an arched eyebrow or does somebody else deal with that
3: so for to answer the first question first yes it does very much on our radar that kind of trend analysis and long-term understanding of what's happening is really important i think The first and most important thing on this is it's a global environment, so what we see here is only going to be a subsection and it could change overnight because of of a global or a regional trend. We are an English language country, we get the same fishes, the same lures, the same themes as the UK, as the US, as Canada, Australia, New Zealand. So we're very much plugged into that ecosystem as well in terms of what's happening. Um, in terms of what we do about it, well, like you'll have seen in the past, we do public information campaigns and releases about this. Um, but we also work with the industry. So sitting behind all of the user activity, all of the things individuals do, are the collective things that organizations, governments, vendors, firms, operators do to try and protect their own infrastructure, there's a there's a large global cybersecurity industry, and there's an ecosystem involving that industry, vendors, people like us, who work together to try and ensure that systems remain secure against an ever evolving threat. That's a very large subject, but basically, we're we're the national representative on a global effort, mm-hmm. dealing with all of these different types of cyber crime and cyber related activity.
1: Okay, so although it might just seem like an annoyance to me and my friends, it is something that's being looked at as a potential threat because it is sort of a gateway into wider cyber attacks and I think people knowing not to click on links in those instances may inform them not to click on a dodgy attachment in a work setting if you know what I mean.
3: Absolutely but I think it's this is beyond the mere annoyance. Phishing remains the single largest way of entry for any kind of threat actor. So nation-state actors use phishing in exactly the same way as other actors do. So you're right, there is an atmospheric cyber hygiene question. I hate the term, but it's, it's the term that's used um, to try and ensure that people understand the dangers associated with this. But phishing and those basic 20-, 30-year-old um, routes remain extremely valid because they work. Um, so the education piece, like European Cybersecurity Month, remains important not just for individuals at home with their own personal information, but in a professional context as well. No matter where you work, private sector, government, it doesn't matter.
1: Can you just explain the nature of ransomware attacks? And what is the, is the goal always money or is it disruption or does it depend on who's behind it?
3: So that that's a really good question. So ransomware is very old. It's at least 20 years old, if not more. And um, what we've seen in the last couple of years is the emergence of something known as human-operated ransomware. So previously it would just have been a drop and go. You click on a link, the, it downloads a piece of uh, software, which encrypts what it can on your own drive or on your own whatever you have access to or write access to. What's happened in the last couple of years is that we've seen um, globally the emergence of these well-organized actor groups who do at least three if not four things. They will steal your data. They will encrypt your data. They will use the stolen data as a means of leverage to extort ransom from you. But they will also then either publish online or sell some of your data to other criminal actors, or just publish it for general release just because they can. And lastly, you'll find there's a a fourth stream to this, which is that that ransomware operators will sometimes take some of the information they've they've stolen and use that to extract directly from individuals on the basis of the data that they now have. So this is a much larger issue than it was because actors have gotten much more sophisticated and much more organized, um, and it remains an issue. The question, why do they do it? For the very most part, this is just about money. There's no question about that. Um, however, there's, there's two other areas where it can, it can get slightly fuzzy around the edges. One of them is that, in some cases, the, uh, the countries in which these operators work and live um, will take payment by means of information that they've stolen. So the, there is a quid pro quo, if you like, to their home government. They, they run back to their local contact and hand over whatever they might have. The second thing, and this is always extremely difficult to prove, But there can be situations where ransomware operators act as a proxy for government to cause disruption, to undermine democracies, to pull at the fabric of of government and the fabric of people's accepted reality. And it's part of a generalised kind of hybrid threat in that environment.
1: I spoke to you on Tech Talk last year, um, and we predominantly spoke about the HSC attack. And I will move off in a second. But I'm just wondering, and touch wood, it doesn't happen. But if another attack like that was to happen in the morning, what would be done differently as a result of what we all went through last time we in?
3: Okay, so first of all, the, it, it is not impossible that we'd have a similar incident again. The nature of these things are that, that the bad guys are always trying and, they're, and they, they try every day to, to, to do some big game hunting, as they would put it. Um, what would happen differently at our level? Well, first of all, the NCSC is far better resourced. Um, we also have a new National Cyber Emergency Plan built on the learnings of the HSC incident response process. The response process that we conducted is regarded by our peers as an example of how to do it um, particularly in terms of the public communications and the, and the larger response, the political response around it. Um, however in reality if you're in a situation where a large data set and a large network has been taken down by an advanced ransomware group there's very little you can actually do. It's too late. So for us, to focus is on both improving our ability to respond. It's really important, but also ins- ensuring that this doesn't happen again by making sure people understand what they need to do. Mm-hmm. If I were to pick out one one piece of recent reporting on the HSC incident, it's that the incident has, uh, the reporting has pointed out that the technological debt that the HSC owe, that, you know, they're, they're, they are about six hundred plus million euro behind the curve. So to harden, to make ready their systems. Um, They need to spend approximately that amount. Now, I haven't looked at it personally, but that's what's been reported. Um, That's known as a technological debt. That's what they owe. This would be the case regardless of whether or not they'd been an incident. HSE is a very large IT system, the biggest in the state, very complex, very difficult to work with. But it's not beyond the realms of possibility. So other large organizations might have similar, maybe not to the same scale, levels of technological debt. And that's the real concern for us. This could happen again, because entities may not be ready for it. Um, they may not see it when it does, they may not be able to respond in time. I mean, th- as everybody will be aware, the day before the HSC incident, the same actor group was active in a government department. That government department reported to us, and we were able to stop it. So they didn't have a ransomware event. Now, the networks were down for cleaning and for safety, but they didn't have a ransomware event. It is possible to stop these guys. It is possible to turn them off. Um, if you don't if you're not lucky and if you're not prepared you are going to get into very serious trouble very quickly
1: and if we look at the cost of that one attack like it's monumental so how do we fix it because that's a huge amount of money and we're obviously there's a lot going on in the world there's a lot of priorities we all know that but people missed out on hospital appointments babies couldn't be registered. Like there was a whole load of human consequences as well as the service disruption in general. So how do we fix it?
3: So I mean, first of all, that's the really important point. This is a human issue. These are services that people rely on in, in their day-to-day lives. You know, this is no longer just a weird IT problem in, in the basement. This is for ev- for everybody. Um, I said this in front of the Rochester Committee earl- earlier on this year. It wasn't just patients. It was hospital staff. It was entire communities who were disrupted and affected by this. And that's what happens. How do you stop it? Well. First of all, globally everybody's having exactly the same conversation. Um, from our perspective, there's three strategic things you need to do. And the twenty nineteen National Cybersecurity Strategy calls these out. And the first one, you have to build resilience. And that basically means you have to ensure your IT systems are up to scratch. Some of that is is incremental improvement, but some of it's structural. You need to start stop running small local poorly defended IT systems and centralize in larger, better defended, better protected, better run organizations. In government that's happening, and it's happening at PACE by the way. The second thing you need to do is to develop, you need to be able to develop your national capability tr- through research, through skills, through training, um, through, su- through R&D in specific cyber security uh, products to ensure that you c- you're ready, not just now, but five and ten years into the future. Cyber is not just for today, it's mm-hmm. forever. And in in all of that, there's a new and emerging piece, and we're heavily involved in this, around the certification of products. You go out and you buy a device, it doesn't matter what it is. And in some cases, you have some degree of certainty as to how secure it is. But the state, at a European level, is getting more and more involved in ensuring that it is secure by design, by default. And that's really important, not just for telecoms devices, which is where we're starting with, but also for connected devices, and particularly IoT devices you know everything we think of iot devices as being you know routers or things like that mm-hmm. but everything now that has an ip address is an iot device cars farm machinery your fridge cameras your fridge your toaster in some cases no not my toaster <laughs> but so this is a this is a monumental issue we've already seen very large botnets using iot devices the mirai botnet was one of the largest botnets of all time and it was a very simple piece of code running on iot devices these are real systematic global problems, and not local anymore. Then the last thing we need to do is engage. And this, this is really about diplomacy. It's about setting standards, about enforcing norms of behavior online by governments and for governments as well. That's not easy. It involves lots of very patient long-term diplomacy at the UN and at other international organizations. It, it is contested. Other countries have different perspectives on how the world should work. Mm-hmm. But if the, the Internet, which is this global resource, ultimately it's a global commons, is to remain secure, free, open, then we need to ensure that these norms are built, understood and respected. Uh, otherwise, we'll, we'll always be playing whack-a-mole.
1: You mentioned there about um, centralising systems to a certain extent. Is that not a bad thing, though? Because if everything is in the one system and the system gets infiltrated, then you have things like certain email addresses not working, certain websites not working, certain systems as a whole not working because it's all reliant on the one thing would it not be easier to have loads of mini steps rather than one big boulder?
3: That's a really good question. So, generally speaking, what you're, suge- you're, what you're suggesting is this utterly federated perspective where the, you, know, you have literally thousands of individual IT systems. First of all, it's very energy inefficient. But secondly, it is very, very difficult to, to really protect that large estate of different systems out there because they'll all have vulnerabilities. They're all running different versions of Windows Exchange or whatever it might be. and it's difficult to patch one of those one of those systems. And if you've loads of small organizations like we do in this country, it's a given that some of them will remain unpatched and they will be extremely vulnerable. Not just a little bit vulnerable, extremely vulnerable. So centralizing and, if you like, and concentrating IT does indeed concentrate IT risk, but it also means you're much more likely to have a proper functioning IT risk governance system sitting on top of that. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean you centralize everything into one pot. Mm -hmm. It means you have individual, federated, resilient IT instances. Cloud works exactly like that. Um, But having it all federated out in local offices, in in small business enterprises, in small government departments and agencies, that's a recipe for serious problems down the line.
1: That was Richard Brown, the director of the National Cybersecurity Centre. That's part of a wider report I did with the NCSC and the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau. If you want to hear what goes on behind the scenes when a major cyber incident happens, head to the Newstalk app right now and find Tech Talk. Uh, Hit subscribe and you'll find a one hour special inside the National Emergency Coordination Centre. Part two will be up next week. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we'll hear from open air about the role they play in the fibre rollout and their new apprenticeship programme. Tech
3: Talk with Jess Kelly.
1: Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk.
3: Hey, and welcome to Connect. Today, we're going to talk about the metaverse. I want to share what we imagine is possible. The experiences you'll have, the creative economy we'll all build, and the technology that needs to be invented, as well as how we're going to all do this together. The basic story of technology in our lifetimes is how it's given us the power to express ourselves and experience the world with ever greater richness. Back when I started Facebook, that mostly meant text that we typed on computers. Then we all got phones with cameras and the internet became much more visual. The next platform and medium will be even more immersive, an embodied internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it. And we call this the metaverse.
1: Yeah. It's hard to believe it's only been a year since Meta and the Metaverse was unveiled to the world. Uh, But that was Mark Zuckerberg introducing the entire concept at last year's Meta Connect. Uh, As Emmett Ryan said earlier in the show, we don't often get to see him out and about so it'll be interesting to see what he has up his sleeve at this year's Meta Connect which is taking place this coming Tuesday October 11th Uh, we might get some new hardware just in time for Christmas uh, but also more of the company's vision for the next iteration of the internet I will of course have all you need to know right here on News Talk now aside from the exciting news of the Kinzen Spotify deal and the latest twist in the Twitter Musk saga we got some new product this week from Google and I am still obsessed with the iPhone 14 Pro Max. Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times is with me now to talk through it all. Now, Kira, we're not allowed publicly unbox these devices just
4: yet, but we do know what the next generation of Google products are. Yes, we do. Um, I mean, look, they're. they're Kind of what you'd expect at this point, you're going to get the Pixel 7 Pro and the Pixel 7. Obviously, everybody's going to want the Pixel 7 Pro because it's got all the, the fancy features, but the Pixel 7 is still a great phone. This is going to have Google's next gen uh, tensor processor in it. So it's, you know, you're going to get some extra photography features. Like, I mean, what I loved about the Google, the Pixel 6 was, you know, the ability just to, to wipe people out of photographs or wipe unwanted objects out of photographs. The Pixel 7 will take that a bit further. Um, And then, of course, we have the Pixel Watch, which it's kind of you know it's something we've been waiting for for a while because now obviously Google owns Fitbit, uh, we were interested to see where that was going to go but they're pitching the, the 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 Pixel Watch as kind of the the premium smartwatch that has Google software on it and then obviously Fitbit will still live on as it is um, at the moment as we've seen we've just had some new watches from them as well so there's lots to get excited about and um, I'm actually very very excited but not a lot of people get excited about this but I'm very excited about the Nest the new Nest Wi Fi pro device that has um you know it has basically next gen uh technology next gen wi-fi technology in it unfortunately it means it won't work with the other nest wi-fis i have in my house so if i want to replace them all it's going to get very expensive but you know it's 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 just going to it, it, it'll it'll help uh keep my internet connection stable which is pretty much all i'm looking for these days yeah, you mentioned there about the Google Fitbit thing. Does that mean that Google is going
1: to continue to move into the health space as much as we've seen Apple do in recent years?
4: Well, the, the Google's kind of always been doing some health stuff in the background. You know, if you have an Android phone, you know, you've got Google Fit on it. Um, this will basically just kind of link it all together. And um, the Pixel Watch, I mean, as I said, we've been waiting for it for a while. It's going to use Google software. It's not going to be the only watch that uses Google software. Um, I mean, Samsung already has Wear OS watches. Um, But like it, what I actually like about the Pixel Watch is it looks like a normal kind of watch. You know, you've got the circular face, you've got the, the little crown on the right hand side. You know, so you're not it's not ma- immediately a smartwatch. And a lot of people don't like that, you know, very smart smartwatch look. I want to get my hands on it before I make any judgments about it, but it looks fairly exciting to me.
1: Mm, I'm quite excited about it. We will, of course, unbox these new devices for you as soon as we're allowed. Uh, and I'll have those thoughts for you on next week's Tech Talk. But here, I want to talk to you a little bit about the iPhone 14 lineup because I know you were in um, the Apple HQ for the launch. What have you made of the 14?
4: I actually, I look, I really like it. Now, if you are... If you've if you've had a twelve or thirteen in the last couple of years, this is not going to be the upgrade for you really because it is kind of you know they, they are incremental upgrades now. I think at this point we can't really expect massive leaps in smartphone technology because look they've they've done the this super camera stuff they've done you know all the face ID all of that stuff. Um, you're not going to get like you know there was a point where you'd get like this absolutely amazing leap and then it's kind of it's it's kind of it's slowed down a little bit. But look, we're getting good stuff we're getting better cameras, we're getting better battery life, we're getting new features like the Dynamic Island on the iPhone 14 Pro. Much as it was mocked as, after the uh, the announcement, you know, because it was the, the name of it and people mm-hmm. were putting all sorts of strange things and, and there was all these memes about it. It's actually something that I've found I've used quite a bit because I would, fl- I would flick between... Um, all these programs, you know, I I would go between podcasts and music and maps um, if I'm out walking, I'd be flipping between maps and music. And it's quite handy to have something where you don't have to keep swiping up and, you know, uh, trying to search for all the different apps that you're using. It's, you know, again, it's not something that is going to make or break the phone, but it's just one of these kind of incremental updates that makes the phone a lot easier to use. And once you start using it, it's kind of difficult to go back to not using it. So for the last week, I've been using the iPhone 14 Plus um, and that is a, it's a great phone, um, but it doesn't have that dynamic island because there are some features that Apple has kind of ring fenced off for the pro models. And that is also, you know, that, that's, that's fine. You have to have some differentiation between the two, uh, between like the, the iPhone 14 and the iPhone 14 Pro, regardless of what size it is. Um, so you still have the notch on the 14 and the 14 plus. So if you're not a fan of the notch, this is, is not the phone for you. The, the, the 14 is not the phone for you. But what the, the 14 plus does is it gives you that big screen mm-hmm. without the price tag of the Pro Max because the Pro Max is quite expensive. I mean, you're looking at nearly €1,500 Euro. if you're buying the, the Pro Max and that's kind of like the start of it. If you're buying the the, the Pro Max, that's nearly €1,500. Euro. Um, the the 14 plus, I keep going to call it the 14 max, but anyway, the 14 plus is 1179, which, you know, yeah, okay. You lose a few features, but you save 300 quid into the bargain. Um, So what you're actually losing, if you put the two of them side by side, the Pro Max has Apple's ProMotion display, which is basically the adaptive refresh rate on the display. So if you're looking at something, if you're playing uh, a video, if you're playing a game on the on the iPhone 14 Pro Max you will get a faster refresh rate. So it'll go up to 120 hertz versus the normal is around 60. Um, If you are looking at text and you don't need the screen to be refreshing quite as quickly, it will go down as low as 10 and it's supposed to save a bit of battery. The iPhone 14 Plus just has the standard display. So you've got your 60 hertz display. You also only have two cameras on the 14 plus versus the three on the Pro Max and the, the Pro. So what you're losing there is the telephoto lens. Again, if that's not important to you, you know, the 14 Plus, it's a great phone. The key thing for me with the the Plus versions of both phones over the Pro and the iPhone 14 was that you get this extra space. So... If you want a big screen phone, you know, you obviously can fit more onto that screen. So you can see more of your emails. You can see more of your web browser page. Uh, or if you have, say, if you need to wear reading glasses, for example, you mm-hmm. can uh, magnify the text without losing anything. Because, you know, all the phone, all phones, all smartphones have the ability to magnify the text um, in some way or another. And, you know, a lot of them will allow you just to, by default, to increase the size of the text. So it makes it easier to read. Unfortunately, it means you lose some of that space because obviously the text takes up more space so some things will drop off the page if you have that bigger screen phone the iphone 14 plus or the 14 pro max you don't you mean you're, you're going to get pretty much what you'd see on the 14 and the 14 pro just at a, 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 a font size that you can actually read it's one of those things that people don't really think about until they need it yeah uh, and it's something that i've been i've been kind of looking into a bit recently just you know accessible tech and stuff like that it's these little things that that makes people's lives easier um, you know I, in terms of the battery life I mean the 14 plus you're saying that the, the pro max battery life is amazing 14 plus is as amazing look the, the 14 will get me through the day the 14 pro will get me through the day the 14 plus and the pro max will go through the day and into the part of the next day mm-hmm. now I'm the kind of person that when I get a phone first you know the battery will always last me the day and then as time goes on and I use it for more and more and I basically flog the life out of it I'm kind of a twice a day kind of charger you know so it doesn't matter really what phone i've i've had over the last few years eventually the battery life will wear down to the point where i have to charge it at least once before the end of the day
1: yeah that is such a good point um finally if someone is looking for an iphone that is great in terms of performance and camera and so on
4: is the way to go get a 13 and update to ios 16 yes um if you want to get the most out of your money i mean i would probably go for a 13 pro um yes you don't you know you, you don't um you don't get the the latest and greatest chip but is it really like, those chips are still so fast i mean the a 15 bionic is still such a great chip in comparison to what else is out there the only thing really that i think that beats at the moment is the a16 so if you don't have the money and you you, you want to get something a bit more reasonable yes bionic is the 13 and even the 12 is still a great phone the other thing people can look at is refurbished phones. I'm, I'm always banging this drum on this one, because refurbished phones will give you a kind of, it'll give you a great phone. It'll come with the same warranty as you will get with a new phone. Um, you'll always get the 12 year, the 12, 12 months, not 12-year. God, if a phone came with a 12-year warranty, that would be fantastic. <laughs> a 12-month warranty, um, and you're protected by the same uh, consumer protection. If you buy it, if you buy it from um, a, a refurbished retailer then you have the same legal protections as if you had bought it new. I mean, obviously, within reason, you can't complain if, it's, if it says that it has some cosmetic damage or a couple of scratches. You can't complain that it's scratched, you know, but, yeah. you know, the, the actual basics, the functioning parts of the phone, you know, if it breaks, you st- you're still have consumer rights, you know, you're not unprotected. Yep.
1: And we'll have more on refurbished phones on next week's show. But for now, Kier O'Brien of the Irish Times, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you very much. Now, as we spoke about recently here on Tech Talk, National Broadband Ireland is continuing the rollout of the National Broadband Plan, delivering fibre to homes around the country, but so too is Open Air. I'm joined now by Una Stafford, who's the Managing Director of Open Air Networks. Una, you're very welcome to Tech Talk. Before we jump in and talk about the progress that's being made and indeed the Apprentice Programme, just remind us what Open Air is and where that sits within the AIR family?
0: Well, open air, uh, open air is basically the wholesale division of the AIR group. And within Open Air, we have Open Air Wholesale and we have Open Air Networks. So effectively, basically, uh, I'm the managing director of Open Air Networks, and we uh, sell our network to all retail providers, uh, regardless whether it's the AIR consumer or whether it's all our other uh, retail providers, whether it's Holderphone, whether it's Sky and plus many more.
1: Okay, so we're talking because the Open Air Network has passed 900,000 homes and businesses around the country, which is a huge figure. I think some people need a bit of clarity as to the homes and businesses that Open Air is passing versus the National Broadband Ireland group versus some of the other players in town. So can you just explain, you know, who and what you're passing versus what NBI, who we heard from on the programme recently, are passing?
0: Well, near Networks, we're passing 1.9 million, basically, premises within the country. And if you look at the country, the country is, give or take, a little over uh, 2.2 million premises. So we'll be passing really around 84% of all premises in Ireland. And then the uh, NBP footprint and NBI will be actually passing the, the remainder. So between both... Uh, open Air Networks and NBI, you know, Ireland will be, you know, when our programs are finished, it will be basically, you know, one of the the top in country in Europe for uh, for fibre to the home.
1: Yeah, my dad is a telecoms engineer, and I think seeing him work has given me a great appreciation and understanding of just how important the work is and how in demand these types of uh, workers are. So I'm delighted to see that AIR is continuing with its apprenticeship programme. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit about it? Yeah,
0: no, I'm delighted to announce the opening of our 2022 Apprentice Program. You know, um as you know, the, the the lifeblood of any organization is its people. Uh, and I'm extremely proud to be managing an organization of over a thousand technicians. And, and in fact, over three to four hundred of those have come in through our apprenticeship schemes in the last, you know, eight, eight, eight to ten years um, you know, for people that are interested, it's, you know, they can log on actually to air.ie forward slash apprentice careers, but more so it's, I think for, for, it, this is not about points in the leave and Cert. It's really about people who have an aptitude, you know, for engineering, an aptitude for, for customer service and an aptitude for, you know, for learning basically on the job, because what it actually contains, it contains, you know, uh, basically, you know, amount of time on-the-job training, you know, one-to-one coaching with experienced technicians but then also to get the benefit of you know, of the college experience because we partner with TU Dublin, uh, specifically the Tala campus where they will actually study for a level six in in telecommunications and data networks so I really, really encourage anyone that's interested, you know in telecommunications, you know in fibre at home, you know, in all the sort of, everything to do with, with, with bandwidth that, you know, if they're interested absolutely, you know, please go look at their website and see if it's uh, if it's a career for
1: you. Great stuff. Well, that is Una Stafford, Managing Director of Open Air Networks. You can find more information about that apprenticeship programme on air.ie forward slash apprentice careers. And that's it for this week's Tech Talk. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday morning. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.